Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I tackle life's most important question. How do I become a saint? Today's podcast is titled Meeting Sister Rita Claire. This is part two of our podcast. Sister, thank you once again for being on. You're welcome. Great times. If you guys haven't listened to part one, you definitely should. Part one shares Sister Rita Claire's story, how she went from professional football player to a TOR sister. But today in this episode, we're just going to answer some of the questions that you guys sent over and potentially produce some of our own. So um, the first question that I want to answer or ask you is uh, one of the first submitted, submitted questions. So you're a TOR sister. Is there a religious who influenced you to be who you are today? Or I'm sure there might be multiple, but if you could speak to that person or those people. Yeah, actually, um, the day I felt my calling in Assisi, um, I was arguing with the Lord and saying, Lord, you can't call me to be a nun. Like I'm a division one basketball player and a women's professional football player. And then instantly popped into my head the story that I read in Sports Illustrated for Women. There was only one episode of Sports Illustrated for Women because, um, yeah, it, just, it never, <laughs> the magazine never went. But that was in 1997, and that was the year the WNBA was coming out. And so Sports Illustrated did this huge article on this woman named Shelly Penified Father, who was the Women's uh, Basketball Player of the Year in, like, 1989. She played for Villanova. And played overseas in China, made $200,000 a year in the early 90s. And she gave it all up and didn't enter the WNBA. Um, but in like 1993, she entered the four player college teams in um, Alexandria, Virginia. And they go barefoot all day. They're silent all day, except for one hour of recreation outside talking to each other. They sleep on straw mats. They um, fast pretty hardcore. They have no television, no phones. They only can write people if they write them. And, um, you know, they visit with their family, you know, once a year behind a grill, um, and they can only hug their families um, at their final vows and then at their 25th anniversary, and then if any of their families around at their 50th anniversary. And so this article popped into my head, you know, five years later when the Lord called me and I was like, wait a second, I guess he did call somebody like me. This, this woman was a total athlete like I was, and she gave it all up to become a nun. And so her name is sister Rosemary now. And, um, I wrote her when I made my first vows and she wrote me back. And then I wrote her when I, I made my final vows, just telling her that she inspired my, my vocation. And, um, she was so blessed by the letters too, because she doesn't hear any information or news or anything unless people write her and um, let alone conversion stories, which are just so inspiring when you're in the cloister all the time to actually hear that your prayers are working and that your life is worthwhile. And so actually this past January, right before COVID hit, I went to the March for Life and I got to meet Sister Rosemary behind the grill. Um, she's six foot two. They had to raise the, um, the walls in the chapel so that people can't, people don't see them ever unless you have an official visit. And so they have walls in their chapel so that you can't see their heads when they even come up for communion. And so they had to raise the walls for her because she's so much taller than all the other sisters. But um, it was (laughs) such such an inspiration and joy to actually meet her in person, which is something I really thought would happen. Um, And she was just so down to earth. 
um, which was neat to see someone who's been cloistered this whole time. Mm. And for anyone, for anyone who's listening at home, sorry, go ahead. Oh, she just thought I'd take my butt in basketball still. Well, you don't know. She might not have touched a ball in a while, but for anyone who's interested in more of her story, I can share the article, Um, but also ESPN, I think just in the last couple of years, because I know who you're talking about, did a, you know, kind of a follow-up on her story, which was really cool, you know, as someone who... Go ahead. I made final vows. Um, she made her 25th anniversary of vows on like June 9th, Pentecost of 2018. And then I made my final vows June 20th of 2018. And so ESPN put out the video right then. And I, so I actually got to see her on the video and see her mom and see her hugging her mom probably for the last time. Um, and then actually my mom, um, died right soon after that and so I kind of experienced my last hug with my mom too and then I got to meet her right after that so it was just an amazing um time of events to me Hmm. the Lord all ties it together Mm -hmm. and for anyone listening at home what's your mother's name so we can pray for her soul Mary Yoches you got that guys Mary pray for Mary um well, what a beautiful testament, though, to, I mean, isn't that kind of crazy that the person who inspired you is, in a certain sense, somebody who, until recently, you never even met. But their story, the Lord, is so good in finding a way for you to be introduced to the person that would help you get to where you are today and make what you saw as a vocation that was kind of not for you, unobtainable. And yet the Lord said, no, no, no. I call people like you all the time. Here's an example. Um, Just beautiful. So anyone who's at home listening and, you know, looks at their life and looks at who they are as a person and says, nah, this ain't for me. Maybe it's not, maybe you're right, but maybe, just maybe you should look a little deeper and say, why not me? Instead of saying, definitely not. Um, the next question I want to ask you was a question of, by one of our, uh, listeners was how did you pick the TORs, which you kind of shared in episode one. Um, but if you could maybe just a little bit more, cause I remember in episode one, if you guys listened, um, you said you mentioned what five, you looked at five different orders, but, um, if you could just kind of share that just a little bit more. Um, with with people at home about how you came to be with the TORs and um, all of that good stuff. Yeah, or even um, what TOR stands for. Sorry, I'm just yeah. assuming everyone is like me and grew up in Steubenville, but they didn't actually. Surprisingly enough, not every Catholic is from Steubenville or connected to Steubenville. It's only 90%. Almost every. <laughs> uh, yeah, 90% of priests, too. Yeah, it's actually 95 for priests. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, I visited a Dominican order that did mostly teaching and they were contemplative active. I visited um, the Carmelites out in Alhambra, Los Angeles area, and they did nursing, teaching, and retreat ministry, ministry with young adults, contemplative active order also, and then um, the Sisters of Life, which obviously pro-life ministry and they're contemplative active. And then also 
The last place I kind of wanted to visit was Steubenville. Um, last place I wanted to join was probably Steubenville. If I could pick right by home or LA or New York, um, I probably would have picked those. But um, again, it's not about us. Um, the Lord knows Darn it. what we need and what will make <laughs> And so um, the Franciscan um, Sisters of Penance of the Sorrowful Mother, Third Order Regular. Um, TOR stands for Third Order Regular. Um, we're a contemplative active order that does campus ministry, work with the poor, um, parish missions, retreats, talks, and um, kind of like the whole gamut, whatever the bishop of the diocese is asking of us. And I didn't feel called to be a teacher. I didn't feel called to be a nurse. And that wasn't, I, I didn't study those things in college on purpose. They just weren't, weren't my calling. Um, but I did feel called to um do in a sense whatever the Lord wanted me to do, whether it was campus ministry or the poor or or works of mercy. Um, so St. Francis founded three orders. He founded the OFMs, which are usually, you know, wearing brown, and they're the orders of Friar Minor, and they their call was to preach and um, to be poor. And then St. Clair wanted to follow St. Francis, but he's like, you can't be one of us. So um, We'll found, we'll found your order, which eventually became called the Poor Players. Originally, they were called the Poor Ladies, and that was the second order, the second rule he wrote. And they were founded for prayer, because at the time, all women were cloistered um, if they were religious. And then um, the third order popped up because men and women who were married, who were widowed, who were single, they wanted to follow St. Francis also, but they didn't want to um, enter religious life, partially because some of them were married. So the third order developed where it was men and women who wanted to live a life of penance for their sins and the sins of the world. And they wanted to do works of mercy, spiritual and corporal works of mercy, mainly the sick, um, the poor, and the unevangelized. And so that's what our order does is we live the gospel life like all Franciscans, but we serve the poor, the sick, and the unevangelized through campus ministry talks, retreats, and um, working directly with the poor. So yeah. Um, but and who's your founder? Our founder is, there were seven women who graduated from Franciscan University <coughs> who were a part of working at Franciscan University at the time in 1988. And um, Sister Catherine Caldwell is the main one who is still in our community. And so she's a foundress and one of our former Reverend Mothers. Um, but like I said, none of that external stuff matters. What matters is that the Lord is calling you to a way of life and to a rhythm of prayer. And that's what struck me was the way my community prays and um, how we put prayer at the center and, it, and we don't focus on what we do, but who we are in Christ as rides of Christ. And so, yeah, I was just struck by that. But Can I you say that again? Yeah. So we do not focus on what we do, um, you know, what our um, apostolate is. We focus on who we are, which is brides of Christ. And so the center of our day and our life is our our prayer. And so we can't have full-time jobs if we're not going to give up our life of prayer. Um, and so we particularly have part-time jobs so that we can pray three times a day, four times a day, two holy hours a day um, without being cloistered, um, but still being able to do works of mercy for people in the world. And from our contemplation, from our prayer flows our works of mercy, because obviously we know we can't be merciful to others until we receive it from Jesus in the chapel. And our, um, what attracted me to my order too is our little logo is, is 
a woman, Mary, or it could be us just hugging the cross at the foot of the cross, just hugging the cross. And I was like, yeah, life is hard. We suffer and we want to suffer with Christ and want to stand at the foot of the cross with him. And so our charism is to be with Mary at the foot of the cross. Mm. I love that. It's beautiful. Just beautiful imagery. Um, so I guess the next question to ask you to go along with what we just talked about, um, what's your favorite thing about wearing the habit? That was a question submitted by one of our listeners. Well, I get to wear my wedding dress and my wedding veil every day, which is really awesome. Um, and my wedding ring, uh, obviously most people just wear the ring, but um, we get to be clothed in who we are in Christ and who he's called us to be every day, which is a beautiful, beautiful witness for myself to remind myself who I am, but also for everyone, especially in the panhandle of Florida where they've never seen nuns ever except for on TV. Um, it's just such a witness. They love meeting us and hugging us and pre-pandemic coming, hugging us. Um, and just asking us if we're I mean, real it's Florida. Or- they might hug you still. Yeah, we, we are, and things are a little loose there, yes. <laughs> um, we're not complaining. But uh, it's just an amazing, amazing, beautiful witness, especially to, like I said, people in the Deep South who didn't know, except for, you know, Protestant, Protestant preacher we met at uh, the mattress store the other day. He came up to us and asked if we, if we were real or if it was a costume. People ask us if we're working at the museum all the time, but... Um, and then he just was so flabbergasted and had an hour-long conversation with us, asking us like how it happens and how we become sisters. And he'd studied the Desert Fathers in his seminary as a Protestant preacher. And he just he just wanted to know all about it. He was so enthralled. And stuff like that happens all the time down here. Um, because we are the, there's three sisters down here in Tallahassee, and we're the only three sisters in the city of Tallahassee. So uh if we weren't wearing the habits, nobody would have that sign and that witness that we're all called to be spouse to Christ in heaven in the whole city, in the capital city of Florida. Mm. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And I so, don't have to pick out what I'm going to wear every day. So what is, with that said though, what is your, is your, your favorite thing is just being able to wear your wedding outfit every single day. Yeah. And being able to be a witness of that, like, I mean, I guess just think of brides on their wedding day. Like everybody knows whose they are and, and who mm. they are. Like they're the bride and they're marrying, you know, Jim today or whatever. And yeah, every day people know that about me and I don't have to explain it. I don't have to pretend it's, it's right here. So. I love it. Yeah. Um, I guess the next question would be, so advice for discernment. You know, there's a lot of people who listen to this page, I think, Last I checked, it was like 79% women, 21% men who follow Gotta Be Saints. So, <laughs> a, uh, you're not surprised by that number. I'm not surprised by that number. Sadly, men, let's, let's be a little more uh, in love with our faith. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and we need to be. But anyway, there's a lot of women who follow this page and potentially listen to this podcast. Um, if you could give them any bit of advice from your now years of being a sister and, you know, uh, before that going through the discernment process, what would it, what would it be? I mean, definitely have a spiritual director, definitely pray in front of the blessed sacrament every day. And lastly, go visit communities, go visit convents because, um, 
you'll never know if you're supposed to marry a guy unless you go on a first date with him. And if you like him, go on a second date with him. You'll never know if you're supposed to be a sister unless you go visit a convent. And if you like it, go visit it a second time. I mean, it's um, that simple. Um, but ultimately, you can't do this without a call. And so you you know that you know that you know that the Lord is calling you. Um, and so that's the the beginning of getting putting yourself out there. But we're confused. We're humans, right? We're just not always right in line with the Lord. And so trying things out and putting yourself out there is, um, is just the way to begin of like, Oh, this is what it might look like. Oh yeah. Wow. I do feel like I'm designed to love in a way where I'm open to the whole world instead of um, more called to be with my immediate family. Um, you know, how did the Lord design your life, your heart? Or, wow, I really do feel like I'm called to live a life of intercession and prayer that would not be as available and ready to serve in that way if I had a family and had kids tugging at my, my skirt or my jeans, whatever you wear. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I guess then to, to go with this um, and kind of go with the last question I said, best favorite thing. Um, and then to just what you're saying, uh, what, it, what has been the most difficult thing for you since entering? I know, so sister and I, you know, I've known each other for a couple of years. I remember one time talking to you and I hope you don't get in trouble or I don't get in trouble for saying this. But I remember <laughs> her saying that she was thankful she didn't live at the mother house because she had a little more freedom living uh, in Steubenville at a house with a few less sisters, as you can imagine, how many people were at the mother house at that time, probably 20 or 30. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a plug for if you're if you're a woman discerning, I highly suggest at least visiting the TORs. Because the worst case scenario is you leave edified and you get to see the beauty of this order. I mean, truly, the mother house is in it's not actually in Steubenville, Ohio, which I want to I want to hit on. It's in Toronto, Ohio which is technically worse than Steubenville. I mean, it's even less people, and but it's beautiful. I mean, truly, where uh, the mother house is, is gorgeous. And it's out on a farm. The family that lives there is an awesome, or that, you know, has the property in front of the, of the mother house is a beautiful family. Just awesome, incredible. But the chapel, you walk into that chapel and on a good day, I'm sure sister can speak to this on a good day with the sun setting in the background. It's just, it's beautiful. It's a, whoever made the chapel, bravo. It's beautiful. Um, but anyway, what has been all that said, there are difficulties. And is there anything that has stuck out to you um, that's been a challenge slash more importantly, or probably a better way to word it is that the Lord has had to work on your heart um, to rectify or to make, um, I guess, possible so that you could be where you are. And, you know, of course, with that, God has blessed you and provided the grace to accept that burden or cross. Yeah, I mean, basically everything's been hard, but the Lord gives the grace and I've never felt like I was supposed to leave. Um, I mm. always have firm conviction in my call, but uh, at first, it was super hard to leave family and friends. I was almost 30 years old, and I had such a network of amazing family friends since you know, first grade. Um, and a lot of my friends who didn't have conversions didn't understand it, so it was pretty hard. Um, 
most people didn't think I was gonna, you know, quote unquote, make it. They gave me, you know, they put bets that I'd be back in 60 days. Um, so it was hard, it was kind of hard explaining things to people at the beginning and um, yeah, missing family and friends. Uh, also hard to give up watching sports. Um, so that was the beginning stages. And then obedience was hard because again, I was like 30 years old and had been living on my own. And so to come and be a postulant and a novice and have rules and have to ask for permission and have the schedule um, and live in community was a little bit harder um, than maybe if you entered soon after college and you hadn't been out on your own as much and you were more used to um, living by those things. So that was, and you know, obviously I'm an independent woman as uh, they say, so that was probably harder for me than the normal. Um, <laughs> and, and asking permission, you know, that's part of our poverty. Um, but also my dad had a gambling addiction um, really in the, when the casinos went into Detroit, he started um, because he was retired he started gambling. And I had, I started learning in my young twenties, I started thinking and learning uh, that I had to provide for myself now because my dad was kind of screwing up and not going to be able to provide for me. And so I think that, mm you know, oh, happy fault. It definitely taught me so much about addiction and my own addictions and humility and um, self-knowledge. But I had to relearn that God, my father wants to provide for me and that I could, you know, relapse in the sense of obedience and poverty. Um, so the Lord used that at the beginning. And then, um, you know, truth be told, you know, you're, you're, hormones don't go away when you become a religious or a priest. So chastity has been an ebb and flow hard at different times. At different times, you're really, you know, always struggling with chastity, poverty, or obedience. It just kind of depends on where you're at, what phase you're at in your life, and uh, what's what's before you. So um, it's, um, it's never easy, but we as women religious are called to be you know, to suffer at the heart of the church and to pray at the heart of the church. And so um, none of it is surprising, although sometimes we get surprised by our own sins. It's not surprising to God or to what we've been called to. Mm. I love that. I mean, it's, it, I love that in the sense of you speak to his goodness and his mercy and his understanding. I think to anyone who listens at home to anything that we've talked about, um, I think you and I both talk to enough people to know that the the church is the church, as in in general, men and women, we're suffering with our own brokenness. And yet something that we can never say enough is that the Lord understands and he's there in the brokenness. And so I think to anyone who's listening at home, no matter where you are in your life and whatever you're struggling with, he is there with you and he wants to make you whole. If only you let him. So don't forget that people who are listening to today's podcast. Um, but my next question, I guess, would be to kind of follow up with what we just talked about is somebody asked, um, well, two, two questions. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to ask first, I guess. I'll ask the negative and then we'll ask the positive. What is your advice, or maybe that's not the right way to say, but seemingly more negative than positive. What is your advice for spiritual dryness? 
keep going to prayer every day anyways. And um, basically just like eating a healthy diet and exercising, you force yourself to do it when you don't want to do it. And when it's hard or when it's, you know, 95 degrees out in Florida and 90, 100% humidity down here, you still go out and move. And it's the same thing. Go to prayer. Be surprised by the Lord. Let him surprise you when you feel dry. Let him speak to you because he always wants to speak to you and you know he is there. And just, you know, expect um, that he wants to say something to you. Don't go in expecting like, oh, there's nothing's happening. This sucks. And why am I even here? Um, but read scripture or read a good spiritual book when you're feeling dry and, and cold in prayer too, and be inspired by the, those words when you don't maybe feel the butterflies and the Lord speaking directly to your heart. Um, we have so much wealth in the saints and their writings and in scripture, obviously. And so let that be what breaks through the dryness is the word and his words. Um, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate everything you just said, especially the word, I think. So I don't listen. It's surprising to some people, maybe not to you, but I don't actually listen to many podcasts, but I've listened to uh, Father Josh Johnson. And one of the things he always keeps on hitting home on is the fact that he's not infallible, but more importantly than that is he always says to turn to the word of God. You know, it's like, you want the answers? It's right there. Read scripture. And I think to anyone who's listening to this, you know, if you're experiencing dryness, turn to scripture. There's a story or a passage or a book that will speak to your heart that the Lord can speak to because that's his inspired word. It's beautiful. Turn to it. Um, I guess uh, only only three more questions I have here. So, um this is actually my friend is in her first year uh, with SALT. So uh, what is that? Society of Our Lady of the Trinity. The Trinity. Okay. Thank you. I'm like, uh. <laughs> um, her question was early formation lesson. She just went through her aspirancy. Is there anything that you can say in that first year or two years or come or, or so that, you know, you would say to someone for them to either persevere or to discern what the Lord is calling them to that you kind of learned in your, in your process of figuring out if you were called to what you're called to. Yeah. I mean, I think enjoy that time. Those first two years, um, they should be, they should be blissful, right? It's like the beginning of the honeymoon. And so if you're having to force yourself and you're just not excited in those first two years, then that's a problem. That would be like your first, you know, year of dating someone and your engagement year, like not having the gusto and the love and the joy and the bliss. So um, pay attention to your feelings, your emotions. Um, and, um, but it, again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you know, we all just know deep down um, that we're happy, even though things on the surface might be hard. So um, yeah, I'd say enjoy those years because um, it is a, a fun time of learning, of engaging in something new and um, getting closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Um, he, there's a quote by um, a woman religious who I think she died um, in the bishop 
but she um, has a quote saying, even just one day as a postulant, um, the Lord honors that. He honors that yes, and that you gave him even a day um, as a postulant. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think the next question then would be, I want to follow up with another question in regard to um, your vocation is, what does your day-to-day kind of look like? So if someone at home has listened to this and has kind of been inspired um, to at least listen to that call by the Lord, um, and of course, understanding every single order has a little bit of a different feel, um, what does your day-to-day look like from a TOR perspective? Yeah, our um, schedule is a little different because we do campus ministry. So I'll share a little bit about my schedule and then I'll share the monastery mother house schedule. Um, so, but all of us, we do a holy hour in the morning for a whole hour of silence. And then we pray morning prayer. And then um, we have about an hour or two to eat breakfast, exercise, get ready for the day. And then we head up to campus at 11. Um, and we're there until about four just doing campus ministry, staff meetings, one-on-one spiritual direction. Uh, most of my day is spent doing one-on-ones with, with women students. And then um, we come back home for a holy hour and evening prayer and the mercy chaplet. And at some point during the day, we've prayed the rosary either together or on our own. And then we um, go to mass in the evening here because of living the nightlife with the students. And then we go back onto campus for um, evening programs. Um, Every Wednesday we have a spirit night, which is basically a talk and praise and worship and a witness, co-ed. And then every Thursday night we have women's group. We have about a hundred women that come. They're committed to come every Thursday to women's group. And we do a talk, adoration, praise and worship, and then small groups. And we um, form on on a different topic each semester. And that's one of my favorite parts is actually getting to teach them um, the truths of the faith. And then um, we pray night prayer and go to bed. And we usually get home around 11 p.m. Um, so at the mother house, though, they wake up at 5 a.m. and do a holy hour from 5.30 to 6.30 and morning prayer and then mass. And then they work from 9 to 12 and come together for rosary and praise and worship at noon and then lunch. And then they work from 1.30 to 4.30. And then they do that evening holy hour from five to six and then dinner and dishes. And in the evenings, we have recreation after dinner. We have share group, which three or four of us get together and share about life. And we're in the same group all year. And um, we also can do work or study in the evenings before night prayer. So a pretty full schedule. But um, yeah, mothers have full days, too. They really don't get breaks or rest in the middle of their day. Um, So it's very comparable, spiritual motherhood and physical motherhood. Mm, I love it. And I think in a society today that preaches, um, what's the word I want to use? I think it preaches sometimes um, me time in a, and actually in a certain sense, a detrimental way. You know, we have this idea that we need to just have as much free time. The second work ends, we're called to, you know, how can I rest and relax? And I'm not saying that that's not important. Um, the Lord probably in a certain sense is calling us to a little bit more. And so for anyone who's listening at home, I mean, you hear that schedule and you probably are saying, wow, that's a lot. And yet 
I'm assuming you would say that the Lord provides in that time that you don't feel like it's quote unquote a lot. Instead, you feel like it's exactly what you're called to do. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. And, and it's what I need. Like I, I thrive on those two holy hours a day because after being out and being busy and living with so many people or being with so many people, um, I love that we come home and pray or that we begin our day in prayer. And I love that all those sets of prayers are built into my schedule and I don't have to work a full-time job and then find out, figure out like, you know, you, Brendan, you figure out when you're going to squeeze in prayer or, or mass. Um, I live a life that it's, built into my schedule. And so it, that was one of the best gifts when I entered religious life. Like, yeah, this is part of your day. <laughs> yeah. Sister's actually talking about tonight as she texted me and said, Hey, we'll talk at this time. And I'm like, Oh, I still haven't done my holy hour. So <laughs> when I get off this call, that's where I'm headed. <laughs> so she, she knows what she's talking about. Um, I, I think I, I have one more question for you before we get to um, final thoughts. And then, of course, the Gotta Be Saints questions. So I, I actually like this. I know this is going to be hard to, to answer, but somebody asked, what is the best way in your mind to fall in love with Jesus? Is there anything that sticks out to you for, for anyone listening? I know that's a very difficult question because, of course, there's so many ways the Lord can speak to you, but in your mind, for you, what is the best way to fall in love with him? Yeah. Adoration for me. I mean, hands down. I mean, it's where he speaks to me most and most, the most romantically, the most solitude, silently alone time with him, um, where I can't help but fall in love with him because I'm gazing at his face, his eyes, his person, and he's gazing back at me like he always is, but in adoration, I physically, um, feel it and see it and know it um, in a more tangible way. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'd say that. And then anytime you can do like a silent retreat um, to pull away so that you can be, you know, like if you're trying to fall in love with someone, right, you go on like alone time dates. Um, so just to have that alone time that's like longer than even just an hour with him where, you know, how romantic for a husband and wife to go away for a weekend and, and not have to talk to anyone else. Like, and so a silent retreat for a weekend or something is the same thing. And so um, it's, it, it works the same way. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I would say even in my life as a single man, I can speak to the beauty and you know, how much adoration went from something I know I should do to something that I, need to do to something that I want to do to something that I can't live without. I mean, the progression of what he can do in that time of silence. I mean, it's, it's unreal. As I look up at my San Damiano cross above me, you know, it's like the Lord wants to, to work with us and he wants to speak to our hearts, but you know, I've said it before. You can't, he can't speak to us if we're not willing to, to listen um, or if we're not even engaging in conversation with them, just like you have to talk to your friends to know how they're doing. The same can be said about your relationship with the Lord. You have to speak to him, even if it's only 10 minutes a day, you know, give him that time. Um, because without it, he's not going to, you're not going to hear him. Um, but I guess that's all the questions I had submitted. So I want to give you a chance, final thoughts, anything that you want to say and then um, after that we can get to 
my final two questions, but is there anything that sticks out to you that you haven't been able to say that you want to say? I don't think so, except for that, yeah, God is um, more generous than we ever can be by, you know, thinking we're giving our lives to him. Um, he's so much bigger than that, and he's giving us, obviously, way more all the time. Um, things we didn't even know we needed or things we haven't even realized and we won't even realize until heaven. But, yeah, just the glory, the majesty, and the grandeur of God um, when you know, we give him, like, like we said, a little, little open door or even, you know, a weekend of our life. Um, it's so rewarding. The hundredfold is real. And, um, yeah, I would never go back. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think as you said, what you just said, it made me think of the, uh, the father asking his son to go out into the vineyard and no matter if you're the son who says no or the son who says yes, God is concerned with um, if you actually go out. I think it's very easy for all of us to do the first son and say no. And yet the Lord is still there putting that prompting on our heart. So if you've said no and you're kind of feeling, I, I don't want to use the word guilt, uh, but if you're feeling an uneasiness that maybe he is calling you and you should probably respond there's probably a good uh, reason for that. And he's probably speaking to your heart. So um, instead of saying yes and then no, it's better to say no and then yes. So remember that, brothers and sisters. Um, but thank you so yeah, much I'm for... Yeah, feel that. Sorry? When you feel that tugging on your heart um, that he might be calling you, it's usually not from the devil. So... Um... Yeah, it's coming from God. Usually, God, the devil doesn't usually tempt us to do uh, things like that. No, and he's not going to ask you to do more because that's a action is not usually going to be a, a trait of the devil. If he's asking you to to give of yourself, that's not from the devil usually, um, unless he's found a way to manipulate you in such a way. But you can typically believe that that's from the Lord. Um, so my, my last two questions, and these are the Gotta Be Saints questions that everyone gets asked, and I always love this first, this next one, because it's just so interesting. Sister, who is on your Mount Rushmore of Saints? Okay, I thought a lot about this, because I love all the saints, but I'm going to go. They're all you. good, actually. Yeah. Breaking news, the saints are good. And they're all helping me so much. So, you know, I got to give them all props. But Edith Stein, um, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, um, just her work on the feminine genius and the feminine vocation and then how John Paul II put it out there. Um, she gets all the credit for that and um, has really changed my life learning all of that. And then Solanus Casey, blessed Solanus Casey, Detroit homeboy. I pray to his tomb like every week before entering religious life. So I really credit um yeah, just the perseverance in my vows to him. And she's calling me out when she says this. She's like, why haven't you been there yet? So I guess I need to make the four-hour drive to Detroit. You got to go. Miracles happen at that tomb. I could use a miracle. Uh -huh. And then St. Rita, because she's the same to the impossible. And um, I feel like my vocation is impossible. And so she is my girl. She's my saint. And um, Maximilian Kolbe, because uh, just going on a pilgrimage to Poland and learning about him, um, just blown away by 
who he was and all he did and um, his devotion to Mary too. So that's my like Mount Rushmore, but then I got to give some props to my Claire girl. So I got a secondary Mount Rushmore, which is St. Claire, the first Franciscan um, and where my vocation was inspired. Sister Claire, who was a 33 year old um, religious who died in Ecuador um, in a hurt in a earthquake in 2016. And if you haven't seen her movie, All or Nothing, watch it. It's amazing. Um, it's on her life. And She's pretty much my best friend now. And then um, blessed Chiara Badano, um, another Claire, 19 year old died of cancer. And then her cause is out there for, can or for um, becoming on the way of making a saint, but her name is um, Chiara Corbella Petrillo. And if you have not read her book, A Witness to Joy, it's amazing. So my she kills the game. Yeah. Yeah, I read that book, my buddy. I don't know if you know Ryan Chestine, but he sent that to me and made me read it. And he's a Franciscan guy. Awesome. He, when I think of like saints on earth, he's the person because everything about him, I'm like, you're, you just don't make sense. Like even how you live your life doesn't make any sense. But anyway, he sent me that book and I'm, I read it and I was just like, wow. Yeah. So, so normal and yet so holy every bit of her just accepting grace in a way that I can't fathom because I am such an awful person and such a sinner and yet this woman is so normal and yet so holy so mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll share that and yeah, oh, yeah. And he's still living with their with their son right yep yeah yeah he, he did the he did the singing at the mass of her funeral like what who can do that only a man who understands that his time on this earth is the Lord's time and has nothing to do with him mm -hmm. because everything about that couple screamed that their calling is not to this earth, but it's a calling to eternity. Yeah. I mean, just yeah, just die, so beautiful. We born, when we die, we are born to eternal life. That's what she loves saying. And I think everyone discerning um, relationship and marriage should read that book for sure. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'll make sure to share that on the podcast when I write the description so that if anyone's interested in reading it, basically you should read it. It's not even, it shouldn't even be a choice. Like just, just pick up the book and read it and be like, these Italian saints, man, they're cool. And she was normal, normal. I tell you, very normal. Might have even worn a bikini. I don't know, but normal. I just feel like I saw a photo of her in a normal bathing suit. And that's why I say that not to be scandalous to anyone listening, but I'm just being sorry. You're, Maybe no, you're was... exactly right. You're exactly right. She did very well. Okay. So here we are. It's not me making up something. <laughs> um, and then the last question for you. I, I wore one too. I did too. So <laughs> it's all of us. <laughs> I'm kidding. Folks at home. I did not. <laughs> Um, the last question for you, God, God forgive me, um, is, sister, what are you going to be the patron saint of? God willing, one day you're going to be a saint. I mean, I'm going to fight for your canonization if I'm still around. I might die first because, let's be real, my diet is not, not hoping for me to live too much longer. But assuming I'm still around, I'm going to fight for it. So what are you, what are you going to be the patron saint of? Uh, perseverance but then also loud laughter and 
women athletes or women's professional football. I love it. I love it. And, and, and this is just for my sake, but somebody at home might enjoy it too. So you played five years of professional football, correct? I, I heard that right. How many touchdowns did you score in your five years? Ooh, I don't know. You know, I'm just so humble. I don't, I didn't, um, my goodness, keep track. I guess. This is this is very different. If it was me, I would know every season, every game. I would know every number, how many touchdowns I scored. Might not remember the final score, but would remember my personal accolades. <laughs> Just tell us, you guys, the difference between sister and I. She's humble, and yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I remember the team records, Brendan. All right. Well, you're just a much better person. That's what we learned. If you learned anything from these two episodes, you learned one thing. Sister's on her way to sainthood and I'm on my way to purgatory. So pray for me. And I appreciate the prayers that might come because heaven knows I need them. The Lord knows your heart and mine. He does. He does. And he works with it. And he's, uh, I think, trying. He's trying very hard to make it work. It's like if we could just, uh, if you could just accept a few more of these graces, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see, Lord. Anyways, <laughs> enough of, of that. Thank you so much, sister, for coming on today. It's been a great joy. And I hope anyone who's listening at home, I actually think these next last 10 minutes will be some of their favorites because I think it's probably the most real. Not that anything wasn't real before. I think it was all very real, but people enjoy the... Uh, the comical side of things, but I just appreciate you coming on and talking, sharing your story. And, you know, at some point you'll have to come on again, God willing, this lasts for a while, who knows, maybe it'll be shut down. Um, (laughs) My hope is that this continues for a long time, Um, but it was a joy to talk to you and it's always good to see you. Hopefully I'll see you in Steubenville again at some point, whenever you're there next, you'll have to let me know. I ran into sister back in, uh, I'm trying to think of when that was sometime this summer in Dunkin' Donuts, which, you know, that's the Lord speaking into the heart. I don't drink coffee. Sister was meeting with some Steubenville person, somebody she knew from Steubenville. And I was there with a man who's on his way to being, or actually has entered the Benedictines. So God kind of full circle does his thing. But anyway, my whole point is uh, I hope to see you soon. Yeah, and, and miracles do happen. There's a Dunkin' Donuts in the city of Steubenville now. Yeah, two, actually. Yeah. I mean, technically one's Wintersville, but if you know the geography of Steubenville, Wintersville, it's all the same thing. It's one big club of street. It's one street. So now you know. If you ever come to Steubenville, there's one road, Sunset Boulevard. Drive it. You'll see it all. There's not much to see. Just turn around. Don't, don't forget about Lover's Lane. Mm, you're right. Lover's Lane is also a predominant road. They have the first and only, uh, what is that called? Roundabout in Steubenville, Ohio. A million oh. dollar project. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, you. next time you go, make sure you drive over there. You need to see a little bit of the roundabout. <laughs> It'll get you uh, really happy. But anyway, thank you so much, sister. And to anyone who listened today to the podcast, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, Always provide your feedback. And if you uh, like what you're hearing, give us a a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify. We would appreciate it. And leave your comments. 
But thank you again, sister, and have a great day to anyone who's listening. God bless.